following and understanding rightful authority, following rightful authority, using rightful authority well, those are all part of living a life that uh, God blesses. Uh, remember, living eternally and living a blessed life are two different things. Uh, people live eternally who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. People live blessed lives because they choose to live the way God taught us to live. And I think I echo the sentiment of the people here tonight when I say, do you know what, I, I want to not just simply go to heaven if Jesus comes back in the sky tonight or when I die. I, I want to live well here and now. I want to live a life he blesses. I want to have a home that he blesses. I want to have a ministry that he blesses. And I think you do too. And we spent time laying the foundation for rightful authority. And the fact that God is a creator. He makes the rules. Not us. Uh, man doesn't make the rules. God makes the rules. But nobody can see God. Nobody can audibly hear God. And so what God did is he gave us something that we can see and hear. He gave us the Bible. And then in the Bible, he delegated some of his authority to parents over their own children. He delegated some of his authority to husbands over their own wives. He delegated some authority to pastors over the flock that they lead. He actually delegated some authority to governments over citizens, but we haven't talked about that in this particular uh, message. And we've spent time talking about the heart of a faithful follower being a joy rather than a grief to those who try to lead us. And then we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about the heart of a good and godly leader. And that begins, of course, with the desire to serve and to build those uh, that look to you for leadership. And then last week we began talking about how a godly leader watches for the souls of those that they lead. And we began talking about qualities of that kind of a leader. Uh, to watch for the souls of those who look to us. Godly leaders speak God's word and they display it in their example. They have a faith that's worth following. They are approachable rather than aloof or condescending to those who look to them. They take responsibility for their role because responsibility and authority go hand in hand and godly leaders don't blame those who follow them for what they do or fail to do as leaders. They understand that what other people do doesn't have anything to do with the kind of leadership we provide or the kind of people that we are. And we were all challenged, I think, as husbands, as parents, as ministry leaders, as pastors, as bosses, to um, live these qualities. Tonight, I want to continue to address uh, qualities for a leader in any capacity. These are good qualities to embrace if you're a husband, good qualities to embrace if you're a parent, good qualities to embrace if you're a boss, good qualities to embrace if you're a ministry leader. Remember, leadership is more about who you are than what you know. Now, it doesn't hurt to know something, but leadership is not about what you know, it's about who you are. Uh, leadership is more than having a position or authority from God. It's about using the authority that God gave you in a way that pleases the God who gave it to you and lifts those who look to you. Uh, I don't believe that God gives every individual uh, the capability of leading hundreds of people. But I do believe that God gives anyone and everyone to whom he gave any rightful authority, he gives them the capability to use it. So what does that mean? That means every husband here, you have the capability from God. When God gave you authority in the home, he gave you capability to lead your home. Uh, every parent here, you may feel inadequate, you may not 
Uh, you may lose sight of the fact that God chose you and chose the children he gave uh, to you, but God gives you the capability of being uh, the right kind of parent. The same is true for every other area of life. Go ahead and stand, if you would, in honor. God's Word, we're in our second part of Watching for Their Souls, Judges chapter 2, verse 18. Judges chapter 2, verse 18. It says, When the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers and following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Thank you, might be seated. Now, if you're a student of the Word of God, you understand that the 400 years when judges ruled in Israel, they were turbulent times. They were, for the most part, dark times with bright spots just here and there. And basically, the story of the judges is... uh, summarize in those verses the people of God would leave God they would leave God's way they would begin to imitate the way of the heathen around them God would bring judgment in their life they would groan because of the judgment and the pain in their life God because he's a merciful and gracious God would feel for them and he would raise up a judge to lead them in the right way while that judge lived they would follow God follow that leader, and then as soon as that leader died, they would go back down that dark rat hole and do the things their own way, do things that were right in their own sight, but wrong in God's sight, and end up in a mess. That's basically a summary of the book of Judges and those two verses that we just read. Um, And that exposes this basic principle. Everything rises and falls on leadership in every area of life. God established authorities in every area of our life on purpose. See, when a marriage has a good and godly leader and a husband, that marriage will do better. When children have good and godly parents, those children do better. When a ministry or a church has good and godly leaders and pastors, that church will do better. When a company has good and godly bosses and management, that company will do do better. By the way, a lot of people gripe about the pay of CEOs. Uh, I don't do that. I think if you get somebody that's providing good leadership, uh, you better pay him because he'll go provide good leadership somewhere else. Listen, would you rather have Tom Brady or some of the other quarterbacks we've had in Cincinnati? Now, Tom Brady's going to cost you $20 million. Now, you can get a leader for $3 million. But everything rises and falls on leadership, every area of life. And here's the thing, it's true in a nation, too. And we instinctively know that everything rises and falls on leadership. We get that, not just in Israel, but in in life today. But our selfish and prideful and fallen nature still fights against authority, even when it is good authority and and well used. And by the way, if you don't believe that, just look at the way most people in our world treat God. God is a perfect leader. He has perfect intentions. His way is a perfect way. He has nothing but good and love intended for all of those who would look to Him, and yet most of the world lives in rejection and rebellion against His authority and against His leadership. In fact, it is actually wise to do everything we can to support and help good leadership whenever we find it. By the way, there's probably some children here tonight, and you need to stop fighting against your good and godly parents. 
It's not going to help you if you wear your parents down and cause them to become so weary in well-doing, they just let you do what you want to do. You think that's what you want, but you won't want it when you get it. Uh, there are some wives here. And you need to stop fighting against good and godly husbands. It is not going to help you long term to cause your husband to lose courage and become weary and well-doing trying to lead you in your home. In the end, you'll break him down. In the end, yeah, you'll be the leader of your home. And in the end, you will lament what you have. And that same is true in the church. It's true in the workplace. It's true in a country. And you and I must all battle our fallen nature if we are going to look at rightful authority the way we should. I get that there are no perfect leaders. But there are some good, godly, sincere husbands and parents and ministry leaders and leaders in all segments of our life and we need to encourage them rather than tear them down all the time. You see, Israel didn't think they needed leadership. But the fact of the matter is is that whenever they didn't have it, they went down the commode. And whenever God would raise up a leader, they would do better, but they never appreciated it sadly. By the way, it's a good time just to pause and thank God for authority figures that he's established in our life to help us who are sincere and good and godly people doing the best they can in the role where God has placed them. Now, last week we talked about some qualities of uh, leaders who watch for the souls of those uh, whom they lead, and there are some other qualities that I think that God looks for, and it is wise for us to build in our lives if we want to better use rightful authority. By the way, if you're here and you're a teenager, someday you hope to have rightful authority, and you need to learn how to use it, and by the way, you use it well, and God will give you more. And all over this room are people that in your heart you want to be a better husband, you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better ministry leader in some way, and these qualities will help you be able to do that. Please first turn back in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. By the way, don't get the idea in, in any of this that I'm setting myself up as some ultimate example in any of this stuff. I sincerely try and fail in every one of these areas. Uh, I'm just simply teaching the Scriptures. By the way, there's nothing that I preach from this pulpit that I perfectly do. Nothing. That's because I'm preaching the Bible, not my life. I'm preaching biblical standards that as a fallen sinner who's trusting in the grace of God through Jesus Christ that I aspire to and try to embrace in my life. And so just to keep it all in perspective uh, for anybody who had that thought in your mind. Uh, here's number one. Seek input and wise counsel when you make big decisions. Proverbs 11:14. Notice what it says. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Turn up a few pages to chapter 15, verse 22. There's something interesting in common. 15:22 says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Turn up to chapter 24, verse 6. It says, For by wise counsel thou shalt make war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Did you notice, and isn't it interesting, that three separate times we're taught the value of multiple counselors 
instead of none or one. I, I just want, I want you to let that sink in. You say, why is that? Because I think when we're making big decisions as a leader uh, of any sort, we're wise to get input from more than one person to hear their perspective. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In the multitude of counselors, purposes are established. By the way, I believe for every husband, one of those ought to be his own wife. And you ought to know and you ought to care what she thinks, even if you decide to do something else. And by the way, if you never decide to do something else, she's leading your home and not you. I believe one of those counselors for every young person ought to be your own parents. So well, my parents aren't saved. Well, you know what? They still have some seasoning in life, and it wouldn't hurt you to ask what they think. By the way, they care about you. Unsaved parents care about their kids. That is a natural thing that God placed in a human being that it has to be really sinned away to a great deal for it to disappear. And even if you decide to do something different, you ought to ask them. I believe one of those counselors for every church member ought to be one of your pastors. By the way, I really don't want it in any of your business. I have enough trouble with my own business. I just think when people make big decisions, it's wise to get a multitude of counselors. By the way, I believe that because the Bible says that. See, getting wise counsel is linked with our safety and establishing the purposes that we have. By the way, wise counsel is different from finding a couple of friends who have no expertise in the area in which you're looking for advice and are going to tell you what you want to hear. By the way... Do you want to make good decisions or do you want to do what you want to do? And if you have this mindset that, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do with my life and I'm going to do what I want to do as a husband and I'm going to do what I want to do as a parent and I'm going to do what I want to do and you name it with my finances, with whatever the area is, you are shutting yourself down to wisdom and guidance that God intended for you to have. Don't misunderstand me. I believe you ought to make your own decisions. Every human being answers to God for themselves. Everyone. No one will someday say, you know what, God, I did this because Brother Wally, and then you fill in the blank. My wife, my neighborhood, my boss, no. We'll all answer for ourselves. I just believe, because the Scriptures teach it, that if you are going to be a good and a godly leader, uh, you will seek the multitude of counsel when you make big decisions. And I'll go ahead and say amen. Go back to chapter 12 of Proverbs. By the way, a big decision isn't whether you're going to have an icy. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, this is why we do this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. (laughs) But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. So what's that mean? I mean, everybody thinks in their own mind they're doing what's right. I mean, that's the whole tale. If we were studying the book of Judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. He wasn't seeking to do what was right in God's eyes. He was seeking to do what's right in his own eyes. And no matter who you talk to, whatever it is they're doing, yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, I'm living with my boyfriend. That's what all the other adults do in our culture. Well, okay, that's right in your own eyes. I'm going to tell you what, it's fornication to God. 
And if we ever want to get past just doing what's right in our own eyes, we need godly, wise counsel. And unfortunately, many adults are too proud or stubborn to ask. Marriages that could have been salvaged are, by the time it comes to light, and so many things have been done, it's way harder to fix. Same thing with parents and children. By the way, I would much rather get parental advice from somebody I knew than some blog from some person who I did not know. I know several professional counselors. I'm talking, they get paid to do what they do. They give marriage advice, people pay them for it. They give parenting advice, people pay them for it. And I know their marriages and I know their children and they don't handle either one well. And then people are showing up and paying them 50 and 100 bucks an hour to tell them to do something that they don't know how to do themselves. No thank you. I'm not ashamed to admit to you tonight, I often ask counsel from our deacons, from uh, Joe and Josh, and from other pastors. I do it all the time. When we bought houses, I called people who I felt like, wow, you know what, they know more about a house than I do, and I had them look at it. I have done big projects at the house, and I have somebody come by and say, I'm thinking about doing this, what do you think? So why do you do that? Because I know that I'll make way more dumb choices without the multitude of counselors. When we were raising our boys, I sought parenting advice from other godly parents with older children than ours. When I changed jobs, I asked people. I would describe what the job was, what was going on, what was good, what was bad. What do you think? Don't get me wrong. I believe every adult ought to make your own decisions. You answer for them, and just like I answered for mine. But we will make better decisions in the light of the multitude of counselors. The Scriptures teach that. Recently, I've been seeking a lot of counsel about a Bible institute. Uh, I have spent several months praying about this. And uh, I believe there's a great need in our region for a church that has a Bible institute to teach young men to prepare for the ministry or lay people in our region who just want to learn more to be better teachers and lay leaders. Uh, I've, I've sought all kinds of counsel on it. Say, why? Because it's a big decision. And, and I'm not looking to do anything extra. What I'm looking to do is whatever the Lord wants from me. I've talked to students who went to uh, Bible institutes. I've talked to people who uh, taught at Bible institutes. I've talked to people who ran Bible institutes because I want to understand. I believe it's wise to count the cost of the tower before you decide to start to build it. So why do you think that? Jesus taught that. If you're one of those people that just jumps in and out of everything, you're a, a terrible leader. You need to always pause and be honest and say, do you know what, Lord, is this what you want? You've heard me say it multiple times. I believe we should make our own decisions, but we'll make better ones getting wise counsel. See, the bottom line to this whole issue of of whether we seek wise counsel or not is this simple thing. We must be teachable. 
Are you teachable? By the way, there's people and they're 15 and they are already unteachable. There, there's people and, and they're 30 or 50 or 70 and you're unteachable. I, I'm going to tell you, one of the great goals of life ought to be, you know what, until the day we breathe our last breath, I'm a teachable person. Isn't it interesting in 2 Timothy, in, I think it's in chapter 4, when Paul is literally on his deathbed and he asks Timothy to come to him. Do you remember what he asked Timothy for? He asked him to bring the cloak that he left because he was cold, and he asked him to bring the parchments. Because all the way to his deathbed, he was a student of the Word of God. He was in jail ready to die, and he says, you know what, I'm ready to die, but I am not done learning, I am not done with the Word of God, I'm teachable still. By the way, at some point in time in our life, all of us are going to have to be teachable to someone who is younger than us. I want that to sink in. People don't automatically know more because they're older. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But no matter what, if you and I are going to be teachable all of our life, we're going to have to be open to learn from somebody. By the way, if Jesus tarries, someday I'm not going to be replaced by somebody my age. And we need to be teachable. By the way, I have no plans to go anywhere. I'm just saying, that's just the facts of life. By the way, parents are wise when they learn from their children. You know, some of the best teachers I had were my kids griping about this or that that I was doing. And you stop and you think about it and say, you know what? They're right. I'm not. I'm sorry. You're right. Are you teachable? I wonder how many bad financial decisions could have been avoided if people had their purposes confirmed by wise counsel. I wonder how many cars people would not have bought. I wonder how many people would have bought a smaller house. But we need the sixth bedroom. My, my wife likes to watch those uh, uh, home improvement shows. And, and I, because I want to be with my wife, I, I watch them too, just like say yes to the dress, and think to myself, oh my, sir, you have your hands full. But her and I always joke that they're doing this and that to the house because they're all going to entertain. And, and you're thinking, I mean, what are you going to bring by, 30 people every weekend? No, maybe we should ask some questions of somebody who's outside of our viewpoint. Maybe we tend to get tunnel vision. Maybe we so easily do what's right in our, in our own sight. And one of the marks that you, you just have your mind set that you're going to do what you're going to do is you stop asking anyone's opinion. By the way, make your own decisions. But you'll just avoid a lot of pain if you get the multitude of counselors. By the way, seek it first and foremost from the pages of God's Word. Everything in there is accurate. 
Seek it from those you lead. Seek it from those who are more seasoned and still faithful. Seek it from good books. Seek it from those who are more knowledgeable in that area. Seek the wisdom of God. God said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Listen, every young person here, you ought to pray every single day for the wisdom of God. Every parent here, you ought to pray every single day for the wisdom of God. Every grandparent here today, you ought to pray every single day for the wisdom of God, for eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand the world that's going on around us to understand that you and I might provide the right kind of leadership and the right kind of example and the right kind of light to the people that might look to us in life. If we're going to be watching for the souls of those we lead, we must seek wise counsel. The multitude of counselors, their safety. Secondly, go up here your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. I believe it is the desire of every godly leader to become a better leader. By the way, that starts by being a better person. <laughs> you can read all the books on leadership you want to read, and I've read a few, and maybe not a lot. But all the best leaders I've ever known in my life were the right kind of people. See, when you are the right kind of person, whether you've read all the books or not, you will do what you're supposed to do and be what you're supposed to be to those who look to you. Not only do we need the multitude of counselors, if we are going to watch for the souls we lead, number two, we need to be planning to be misunderstood and alone at times. <laughs> so that's not very appealing. It's not but it's a fact of life. Notice in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37, it says these words, And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry you here and watch with me. And he went a little farther he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and he findeth them asleep. And he saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Have you ever considered this, that there are times when even the best intentioned people will not be there when you wish they were? Listen, I'm sure if those three disciples would have grasped at that moment, you know what, this is the last time I will have opportunity to be with him before his passion. If they would have only been able to see, if they would have only grasped what it was, they never would have fallen asleep. He would have never been alone. They would have been with him. They would have had their hands on his shoulder. But the fact of the matter is, is no matter who it is, no matter how well-intentioned they are, there are going to be times when they just don't see. And so leaders of all sorts will have times when you will be misunderstood and alone. Listen, the disciples didn't understand what he was doing at all. They didn't agree. And they'll be lonely in dark times for every godly leader. Every person with God's rightful authority who uses it rightly. But listen to me, it will be in the darkness of being alone as a leader that you'll be refined into gold or you will fail to take responsibility like you should. There is a kind of good courage that is required for every godly leader. 
That's true for husbands. There's, I'm sure there's men in here, you have not corrected your wife on anything for years because you're afraid to. And some of you wives, you're proud that he's afraid to correct you. I'll just say amen right there. Same thing with parents. You know what should be done and you just can't muster up the courage to correct your kids. Listen, it is a hard thing, whether you are a husband or a parent or a ministry leader or a pastor or a boss, a leader in any capacity, there are going to be times when I'm just going to say, when you have to do what's right, you're going to be alone. Can can I remind you, though, of the great thing in this, is that when we do what we're supposed to do, in other words, we use our rightful authority in the right way, use it the way God gave it to us to use, God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. See, God brings times in every follower's life when they will not be able to see or understand what their leader is doing. And your heart will be tested whether you really follow or not. I'm not talking about your leader disobeying God. Follow God. Every leader's heart will be tested because there will be times when leading someone will be a grief to you rather than a joy like it should be. And your love and your depth of your desire for their good will be tested. I want to just say it is a terrible thing that some children and teenagers emotionally punish their parents for leading them. But it's a reality. It isn't okay. Stop it. It's terrible that some wives emotionally punish and physically withdraw from their husband for not doing what she wants. It's a reality. It's not right. But it is what it is. We're all imperfect. It's terrible that some people in a church punish anyone who's trying to get them to do more for Christ or repent or cause them uh, to do something in a different manner than they feel like doing. But, but it's a reality. And this is what causes every good and godly leader to at times feel all alone and misunderstood. It happened to Jesus. Don't think it's not going to happen to us. The only way for us to handle this is you must know that you're trying to follow God. And you must know that you're really looking out for the best interests of those you lead. Let me ask you tonight, are you willing to stand alone to use God's authority rightly? We all need to at times... Nobody likes to do it, but sometimes you have to. Good and godly leaders have enough good courage and confidence that they're willing to face the darkness to do their task. And then lastly, please go back to Matthew 23. By the way, I want to thank God for those who are a joy to lead. I want to thank God for my wife. I'm not saying she's not a rascal here and there. But I've got to be honest with you, and it's not going to surprise you. I'm kind of rascally myself here and there. Thank God for my wife. By the way, I thank God for our boys. 
I'm not saying they weren't a pain here and there, because sometimes if it had been legal to punch a kid in the face, I mean, I would have taken the, I would have done that. But for the most part, it wasn't like that. By the way, I thank God for you. Uh, for the most part, since we started 12 years ago, you know what? You've made my job a joy. I appreciate it. Which gets us to our last thing. For those who would watch for the souls of those whom they lead, number three, expect more of yourself than you do of those who look to you in some way. By the way, you say that's just sensible. By the way, most leaders expect more from those they lead than they do from themselves. That's the opposite. It's kind of interesting here in Matthew 23, uh, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. So this is something he said publicly and to his disciples. Here's what he says. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they have his authority. All therefore whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. That's an interesting statement in itself. He said, but do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Have you ever really stopped to think about this? Jesus was never critical of the scribes and Pharisees for taking the Bible too seriously. And and people today who call those who take the Bible literally and seriously Pharisees, they just display their ignorance. Jesus never rebuked the Pharisees for taking the Bible literally or taking the Bible seriously or paying attention to the details of the Bible. He never did that. Jesus paid attention to the details of the Bible. Jesus took the Bible seriously. Jesus took the Bible literally. Here's what he was always after them for. Number one, placing their traditions above the Bible. And number two, their hypocrisy. In this particular case, they're asking people to do things they would never do themselves. Now, it's interesting that he says, because of their position, he said, whatever they bid you to do, do. But just like we've taught in this series, that when someone has rightful authority, that rightful authority, because it comes from God and it comes from the Bible, is subjected to God and subjected to the Bible. So he says, listen, when they ask you to do something that's wrong, when there's something they won't do, don't do like they do. One of the great principles to embrace as a leader is don't ask anyone to do something you wouldn't do or haven't done. I believe every leader, every husband, I'd be ashamed if my wife got out of bed before me on a regular basis. I'd be ashamed if my wife outworked me. I'd be ashamed. Because I believe that as a leader, you ought to set the pace for the people who look to you. You ought to set the pace for getting places on time. You ought to set the place for making things happen in your house. You ought to set the pace for doing what's right. Thank God for wives who do that in the absence of a husband who does it. But I believe every leader is supposed to do that. And by the way, when we do that as leaders, it makes our leadership easier to follow. 
And to use our authority in a way to get those who look to us for something we wouldn't do makes us more like the Pharisees. And that's not a good thing. There are few things more rewarding, though difficult, than using authority God delegated to you in the right way. I'm going to tell you what, there's no, it is a great joy if you're a husband to see your wife do well and do better because you're in her life. And that's the way it should be. Our wife should rise higher in life because she married you. It is a great joy as a parent to see our children go farther in life, in life and in their faith, because you were there as their parent. There's nothing like that. I didn't say there aren't dark times. I didn't say there aren't lonely times. I didn't say it's not difficult at times. I just said there's nothing greater than a sense of satisfaction. The same thing is true in ministry. When you invest in somebody and you use your authority to lift them and to teach them and to see them do better in life and their home and their marriage and their decision-making to be better, there's nothing better than that. See, this kind of joy makes the weight of responsibility and lonely times well worth the trouble and well worth the effort of being the one who is willing to do, have them do nothing that you haven't done or wouldn't do yourself. Let me ask you tonight, are you clearly expecting more of yourself than you expect of those who look to you in leadership? Because good and godly leaders always expect more of themselves than anyone who looks to them and reasonably expects from them. I'm going to read ten statements. I didn't write them. I just thought they were good. These are ten statements of Christ-like servant leadership. Uh, by the way, these are from Paul Chapel, And they're just good. I'm, I, I can't improve on them. He's way smarter and way better man than I am. Here's number one. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love and trust them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The service you render today will be forgotten tomorrow. Serve people anyway. Honesty and frankness will make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men with the smallest ideas. Think big anyway. People pretend to love the little people but sell their souls to the big people. Fight for the little people anyway. Number eight, what you spend years building might be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. Number nine, people really need help, but may attack you if you help. Help people anyway. Number ten, give the world the best you have and you get kicked in the teeth, but give the world the best you have anyway. You say, why? Christ's sake. Christ's sake. The, the, the one who gave rightful authority to parents and husbands and, and ministry leaders and, and government officials, do it for his sake. Watch for their souls. Seek wise counsel when you're making big decisions. Make your own decisions, but don't make them in some vacuum. 
Plan to be misunderstood and alone at times. Expect more of yourself than you do of anyone who looks to you. And I want to tell you what, having rightful authority from God is an incredible privilege. Embrace it. Use it. And lift the people around us higher. Listen, Fairfield and Hamilton and Lakota and this surrounding area ought to be better off because Bible Baptist Church was in the hood. You ought to be better off because you're here. And if you're not, then I failed. Let's take this seriously, amen? If you'd quietly stand tonight.